Samuel chapter number 23, 2 Samuel chapter number 23, and if you're here this morning, you still have not received the notes, uh, you can go ahead and raise your hand, and there's a, a worksheet that you can follow along, how the, at, the outline of the message, and that way you can follow along this morning and taking the notes of the message. 2 Samuel chapter number 23, we're going to be reading verses 8 to verse number 12, verses 8 through verse number 12. And we're going to continue our series on answering the call, answering the call that God gives us. And so 2 Samuel chapter number 23, verses number 8 to verse number 12 is what we'll be studying here in this morning's message. It reads like this, 2 Samuel 23, start in verse number 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachamanite that sat in the seat chief among the captains, the same was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He, rose, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop, where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you this morning that we can come and study it together, that we have just the written word in our hand where we can not only wait till on Sunday to be able to study it and read it, but every day, Father, we can have that quiet time with you where we can hear and read what you have for us through your word. And I pray that this morning as we study this passage, I pray that first of all you would fill me with your spirit, that you would hide me behind your cross and help me to communicate the message that you have given to me this morning, that it would be a message that would encourage some today, that would challenge them by what your word teaches and what your word says. And then, Father, I pray that not only I'd be able to communicate well, but, Father, that we would all be able to receive your word this morning. That we would not just understand what you are saying, but, Father, that we would be able to apply it into our lives. It would begin to make a difference uh, in our lives and that it would make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that this morning you would help us, that you would just be with us in this time. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last three chapters of the book of 2 Samuel give us a clear understanding of what exactly made King David's kingdom so grand. You'll find as you read these last chapters that the greatness of his kingdom did not rely on the great architecture that he had. It did not rely on the grand wealth that Israel had. But it did rely on the greatness of his people. In fact, in chapter 23, if you study that passage, you'll find that there the writer records many of the great people, the great soldiers that were in uh, King David's army. 
And it was because of their valiancy, because of their bravery and their courage that made really the kingdom of David as great as it was. Much of the chapter deals with those who accomplished unbelievable feats for their nation. Now, we will not go through the whole chapter, but this morning I do want to focus on those first three in those verses that we read already. Those first three men that were known as the greatest three in in David's kingdom. Now, there's very little known about these men. There's very little written in the Bible about who they were and where they came from and all that they did in their life. But there's much to learn just in these simple four or five verses. There's much to learn from their life that we can apply in our life today. You see, they were very much known as fighting warriors, as the greatest soldiers that David had in his army. They were known for the great battles that they won. And the reason that that is important this morning is because the Christian life is a life of battle. The Christian life is a life of spiritual warfare. Do you know that the time that, uh, that we were called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, at that moment we were called to become soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible says that we are in a spiritual warfare every day. And what we do as soldiers of Jesus Christ will determine the victories that we experience in our Christian life. What we do as soldiers will either bring victory in our life or defeat. It is so important that you and I must understand that as Christians today, we are called to fight. We are called to participate in this spiritual warfare. You know, I was very encouraged to read a letter by a man by the name of David Webster. He was a soldier in World War II. He was part of the Easy Company of the 101st Airborne, and they were parachutists that, in that war and very much known as one of the great soldiers and the great uh, uh, battalions there of the World War II. And, and he was writing to his mother, David Webster, and he wrote this. He said, Stop worrying about me. I joined the parachutists to fight. And I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this because no war can be won without young men dying. Those things which are precious are saved only by sacrifice. You know, something that David Webster understood about war is that when you go to war, you go to fight. David Webster had every intention to say, I'm going to be over here on the battlefield, but I'm not just going to stand around and do nothing. I have come to fight, and I intend to fight. Can I say that that is just still true today? Unless we are willing to fight and to sacrifice in our Christian life, we will never experience victory in our Christian life. God has called you and I to fight. Now this morning I want to share with you just three profiles of these three soldiers, these three greatest soldiers in David's army. And I want to learn some some truths from them that will help us and hopefully help you in your Christian life to also be victorious, that God would do something great in your life and in mine as we learn some truths between them. I want you to notice, first of all, uh, this first soldier, Adino, the Esnite. He's known as Adino, the Esnite. Now, I want you to understand that as we study him, the first thing we want to study is his name. 
Now, I know today many people have different names and they don't really mean a whole lot. But back in the times when the Bible was written, a person's name really described a lot of their personality, a lot of their character. And so you can learn a lot about the different people of the Bible, the different characters of the Bible, by simply studying their names. Uh, For instance, if you know the story of Jacob there in the Old Testament, uh, Jacob, the name means deceiver or liar. And if you know anything about the life of Jacob, uh, he was a man that was known as a deceiver. He, he lied to his father to steal his brother's uh, uh, firstborn right. And, and we find that he was a deceiver to his uh, father-in-law. He was just a, a man that was known to be a deceiver. And, and when God got a hold of him and changed his life, he changed his name. He changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means prince of God. You see, names in the Bible have meaning. They, they sort of describe what a person is, a little bit of his personality and, and what he does. So as you look at Adino, the first thing that you notice is his name. His name means slender. Right? It means slender or it can mean skinny. Now you've got to imagine Adino. By the way, one of David's greatest soldiers is named Adino because I imagine that he is probably very skinny. I, didn't th- I don't think that Adino was a man that we would think of as an elite soldier today. He probably was not six foot four, 230 pounds, solid you know, muscle, benching 450 pounds and squatting about 1,000. That was not Adino. He was not a man that was going to be that kind of soldier. In fact, I'd imagine that most of the time when they went to battle, the opposing army probably looked at him and and he was probably on the front lines, one of the the greatest warriors there to be in Israel. And I'm sure that most of the enemy would look at him and go, wow, this is going to be a little bit easier than I expected. I mean, that guy's a twig. That guy's as skinny as can be. I I, I think I could take him. I, I think my mom, my grandmother could take that guy in battle. You know, he, he was just that kind of guy. If you just looked at him, uh, his name being Slender, he was probably just very slender. I'm, I'm sure they gave him that name not because he was, you know, 450 pounds. Uh, it was probably because he was a very skinny man. And yet, when you study what Adino did, you find that this man was unbelievable as a warrior. In fact, as you study the passage there in verse number 8, it says that he lifted up his spear against 800 men whom he slew at one time. I want you to notice the accomplishment that he had. He slew 800 men. Now, when you think about that accomplishment, it's pretty remarkable that a little slender, skinny soldier could do such a thing. I mean, I think it would be a lot easier to imagine someone that was like, I don't know, Superman, right? Or Batman, you know, you watch that, or, or even a soldier like Captain America. You could see that guy go and take out a whole battalion by himself. I mean, you know, these guys are superhuman. These guys are unbelievably strong. Uh, you can see that happening, but it's, it's really hard to imagine that little skinny guy who's not very strong, it doesn't look like much of a soldier, going and slaying 800 men. How in the world did someone like that do that? Well, I want you to notice the first lesson that we find about Adino. And that is that he was one that was able to learn and apply in his life that the strength for the battle of victory doesn't come from oneself. It always comes from the Lord. If you'll read those other verses, you'll find that every time it says, the Lord brought a great victory. 
You know, something that Adino had to learn in his life that it was that if he was going to be a soldier, a soldier that was going to have victory in his life, a soldier that was going to do something significant, he was not going to be able to do it in his own strength. He was going to have to rely on the strength of the Lord in his life. Now, Adino was a follower of King David, and I believe that he learned this principle from his king. You see, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, most of us perhaps know the story of David and Goliath. And everyone knows that David took down Goliath. And, and uh, if you know a little bit about uh, what the history of that story is, you know that David was probably about 17 or 18 years of age. That uh, he wasn't a man of, uh, of uh, much military background. He wasn't uh, one that was an experienced soldier. But he was going against Goliath. Goliath, some believe, was probably around 10 feet tall. Goliath was a man that was very much an expert in military battle, a man that had killed many people, a man that the whole army of Israel was afraid to go against, just one man. And the Bible says he would daily come to uh, the Israelites and say, just pick out one man to come and fight me. And whoever wins that battle, then that is who's going to serve the other. If I lose, then us, the Philistines, will serve you. And if you lose, then you, the Israelites, will serve us. And there was not one man that would go and confront this giant. But then a little 18-year-old boy who was delivering some food to his brothers, hears what that giant is saying and says, hey, I'll go. I'll be that man. Hey, there's a cause here to fight. I will be that man. But I want you to notice what David did when he went to fight Goliath. In verse number 47, he says this. And all, and this is David speaking, he said, and all this assembly, that whole army that is there, both on the Philistine side and Israel's side, he said, all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You know what David learned and passed on to Adino was this. Listen, Adino, it's not about how strong you are. It's not about how much you lift in the weight room. It's not about how strong and, and, and perseverant that you are. It all depends, victory all depends on whose strength you're going in. If you're depending on your strength, you won't last very long. But if you're depending on the Lord's strength in your life, listen, there's nothing that you cannot do. You know, I have learned in my Christian life that if I try to do things within my own power, I usually fail. I have found in my own life that many times I, I sort of think that, oh, I can make it. I, I don't need to pray about this. I, I know that I can do it. I, I know that I'm good enough to do this. And, and inevitably, any time I go with that kind of attitude, I find that I, I don't make it very well. I find that my strength isn't good enough. There's a very worldly philosophy that's very common today, and they, they call it the power of positive thinking. And they say, man, if you just think positively, you're going to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. And there are some things, and there are some people that have been successful with that kind of thinking, but at the end, they're never victorious totally. The power of positive thinking has led many to failure and bankruptcy and homelessness. It's not simply saying, well, if I'm just positive enough in my, uh, in my thinking, then I can have victory. No. Can I just say uh, that in the Christian life, victory is not determined in the power of your positive thinking. It is determined by the strength of God in your life. You say when you have God's strength in your life, he makes the impossible possible. 
I want you to notice the application this morning that we learned from Adino, and it's this, that we must have extraordinary strength for every spiritual battle. I think it's amazing that a man like him, a slender man like him, was able to kill 800 men. The Bible says in one time, in, in one occasion, in one battle there. Now, I, I've never been in war. I've never had to uh, hand-to-hand combat uh, anyone, but, uh, at least to the death. But, but I have been in a couple fights. And if you've ever wrestled against anyone, or if you've ever gotten in a fight, perhaps with your brother or sister, you know that just with one person, if you fight for like five minutes, you're exhausted. I mean, if you watch a boxing match by like the ninth round, uh, most of them are just hugging each other and then they'll break them up and they'll do two fights and then they'll hug each other because they're exhausted. And that's fighting one person for two minutes around, for nine rounds. Can you imagine 800 soldiers? Listen, Adino was a man with extraordinary strength. He was coming up against a huge army. And yet Adino was able to have victory because he found strength in the Lord. You know, much of what we cannot do in the Christian life comes when we look at it as if it were something that were up to us, as in up to our strength to get it done. But if you always do that, you'll never get it done. I've heard people do this many times in, in their Christian life here and here at church. I've had many times where you'll see somebody and you go, man, you know what? We need a fifth grade boys class teacher and man, you're really good. You've got a great testimony and people like to be around you. And, and brother, would you just consider being a, a Sunday school teacher? And inevitably, so many times people go, Pastor, I, I can't do that. I'm not that good of a teacher. I, I, I've really never taught a class before. And I don't know if the, that fifth grade is, 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 a, is an age that's going to listen to what I have to say. And, and Pastor, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm good enough to teach that class. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is, if you look at teaching that class with only your capabilities, you're probably right. You're probably not good enough. And you're probably not gifted enough. But if you view that as something that I need God's help with, I need God's strength to do, let me tell you something. You could be the best fifth grade teacher there ever is. You know, if you just look at it and you notice that when God's power is in your life, nothing is impossible for you to do. Whatever God calls you to do, He will enable you to do. Now let me just give you two quick thoughts on this. How is it that we can strengthen ourselves? How is it that we get God's strength in our life? Number one, we are strengthened through prayer. Someone has said, much prayer with God brings much power from God. Let me just say, if you don't spend time in prayer with God, if you don't spend time with God, you'll never experience what it is to have God's strength in your life. It won't be long before you're too tired to come to church and you're too tired to teach your class and you're too tired to help as an usher and you're too tired to teach your children what the Word of God says. It won't be too long before you're just going to get very weary and exhausted and your strength isn't going to hold up can i encourage you this morning be a man like adino that says i'm going to strengthen myself not in what i can do but in what the lord can do through me i'm going to ask him for help in my life that's what prayer does it acknowledges that i can't do it on my own i need god's help to do it in me that's why in james 5:16 it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much 
You know what we need more of today in our churches is Christians that say, man, I can't do it on my own. I need God's help to do it. I need God's strength so that I can be a better Christian. I'm just not going to overcome this on my own. I'm not going to overcome this temptation. I'm not going to overcome this sin in my life on my own. I need God's strength. Then I want you to notice we don't only strengthen ourselves through prayer, but we strengthen ourselves through faith. Paul wrote in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. So many times we're weak in our Christian life because we don't strengthen ourselves neither through prayer nor through the word of God. Some people ask, why is it so important to go to church? You know, I've heard people say, man, as long as I have a connection with God, as as long as I feel like God is near me, that's all that matters. I don't need to go to church. And my response to that always is, if you have a real connection with God, then you're going to want to go to church. You say, it was God's idea to establish the church. It was God's idea to start the church. He was the founder of the church. And it was God's idea that we were to come, those that are followers of him, to come and be strengthened by the word of God. If you're going to make it in your Christian life, you need to determine today, you know what, I'm going to be there every time that the doors are open. Man, I'm going to get connected in a Sunday school class. Why? Because I need the word of God. Because that gives me faith. And the more faith I have in my life, the more strength I have to confront the problems of life. How many understand this morning? Life's tough. Life's difficult. Man, marriage is tough. It's hard to make it work all the time. Parenting is really tough, isn't it? I have found that before I had kids, I knew everything about parenting. Then I had my own kids, and I don't know anything about parenting. It's unbelievable. It's very tough. What are you going to need to get through that stage in life? You're going to need God's power. You need God's strength in your life. Just like Adino, I'm going to have to spend time in prayer. I'm going to have to spend time in growing my faith, being around the Word of God. I want to encourage you this morning, learn that truth. Apply that in your life. Then I want you to notice, secondly, Eliezer, the son of Dodo. His name means God has helped. Here's a man that understood his needs were not something that he could supply himself. Here was a man who thought, you know what, I'm going to need God's help in my life. Not only did Adino learn that he had to uh, have God's strength, Eliezer understood, I need to have God's help. I need God's help, not just his strength, I need God's help in what I can do. And you know, it is amazing what a person can do when he will look to God for help. One who quits depending on himself, on his own intellect and his own abilities. Man, you'd be amazed at what God can do if you just say, God, I need your help. John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, without me, ye can do nothing. Man, I think the best illustration of this is a man by the name of D.L. Moody. A man who was not very educated. In fact, he didn't finish any high school education. He wasn't a man that was known for his grand intellect, for his genius as a scientist or an engineer. But one time as a young man, he heard a preacher say, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man that is wholly consecrated to him. D.L. Moody came to the altar that day and he said, God, with your help, I will be that man. That man with no education, D.L. Moody, was able to begin to preach the word of God. He was able to uh, preach to as many as one million people in his lifetime. He shook two continents with the word of God, brought many people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, not only in Europe, but here in America, known as one of the greatest evangelists. It was a man that didn't have much of an education, but he knew that he needed God's help in his life. I say this morning, 
What we need is more Christians like Eliezer that say, you know what, I just need more of God's help in my life. I want you to notice his accomplishment. The Bible says there in verse number 9 that they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel gone away. And let me just say something there. I want to pause before I say his accomplishment. I want you to notice there that the Bible says all of his army ran away. All of his army was saying, I'm out of here. The Philistines are too many. There's not enough of us. We're not going to win this battle and turn around and begin to run away. But Eliezer didn't. You know, when everyone was running away, Eliezer was running ahead. When everybody was giving up, he said, I'll never give in. Eliezer was a man that had God's help in his life, and he decided, listen, though others may forsake God, I'm not. I'm going to keep moving forward. Though others give up, I'm not. I'm going to just keep going ahead. I'm just going to keep more, uh, moving forward for the glory of God. You see, he knew that by himself there wasn't much he could do, but he thought, if I have God's help, if I have God's help, even if everybody leaves me alone, hey, I can still have some victory in my life. I have found in the Christian life, so many Christians wait to depend on others for victory in their life. So many times, if we're not careful, we'll say, well, I don't go anymore because you should have heard what a member of the Sunday school class said about me. You should have heard what the pastor said. You should have heard what happened to me. You don't understand what happened to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the experiences I've had in my life. Everybody has forsaken me. My family doesn't want to go. My family makes fun of me for going to church. And, and my family makes fun of me for reading my Bible. Can I say, though, everyone forsakes you, God is always there for you. Though no one else will help you, God will help you. And Eliezer decided, you know what, I'm just going to go forward when everyone is going backward. Can I say in your Christian life, when you go up against something that's a little bit difficult, just, just determine I'm not going to give up. When it gets tough to come to church and be faithful to God, just say, I'm not going to give up. Let me give you a quick application. We must stick to the word of God if we are to push back the enemy, which gives us endurance. When you just push back, when you stick to the word of God, you'll push back the enemy, and listen, you'll have strength to endure. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And our writer said, teach me, Lord, then to wait on thee. Let me just say, as life gets more difficult, what we need is those that would just say, I'm going to stick to what the Word of God teaches me. I'm going to stick to God. I'm going to be with Him. I want you to notice what the accomplishment was. You'll notice there that he says in verse number 10, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his, and his hand clave unto the sword. You see, Eliezer simply stuck with the sword. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 teaches us that our sword in the Christian life is the word of God. Can I encourage you, Christian, this morning that when things get tough, just stick to the word of God. Don't, don't drop your sword this morning. I know there's a lot of pressures in our world to get you and I to drop the sword. And there's a lot of statistics that tell you why you ought to quit or stop saying something or standing for the word of God. We live in a society that has kicked out God of its schools. Said, hey, we don't want prayer in our schools anymore. 
trying to kick God out of our society and say it doesn't really matter what the Bible teaches about morality. It really doesn't matter what God uh, in the Bible teaches about what life is. We're going to determine what we want to do. We're going we're to follow our feelings. And if it feels good, then it must be okay. And then there's a lot of shock, like there was last week, when a 19-year-old boy walks into a school and begins to mow people down with an AK, an AR-15. <gasps> How did he do that? Why did he do that? You know, that's the result, my friend, of kicking God out of your society. You watch the news and they want to say, they want to blame the guns and they want to blame the home and they want to blame all these circumstances. But I have yet to hear even one journalist say, you know what the problem is? Is that we kicked God out in 1963 and now we're just sort of getting the fruit of that. Jeremiah told the Israelites, sow to the wind and you'll reap the whirlwind. Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. 17 families are mourning today because of that decision. Because they, our society has decided I don't need God's help and I don't need God's word. I can do it on my own. And I say that this morning what we need more of is Christians that instead of running away from the word of God begin to just stand for the word of God. Though it's not popular to say, hey, this is what the word of God says. Thus say the Lord, it's okay. I'm going to say it because that's what is the truth. I know society may not like to hear it. And they may mock you, and they may make fun of you, and they may persecute you, but let me just say, you ought to be like Eliezer and just clave unto the sword. It came to a point in Eliezer's life where, where it, it was impossible for him to let go. He had been fighting so long, and he was so tired, and God had helped him endure all the way and to the point that, that he couldn't let go of the sword. Oh, that there would be Christians that would just stick to the word of God today. So many churches are going away from what the Word of God says. They're trying to change it and say, well, I don't know if it really means that. Well, I, I don't know if, if that's really what God is saying. And they're beginning to drop their sword and run back. And we need more Christians to pick up the sword and move forward. Christians like Eliezer that simply say, I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm not turning back. People will say, man, all you ever think of is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Let me just say, just stick to it. If people say, man, all you are is about is the Bible. They say, okay, praise God. That's what I want to be all about. I want to stick to the word of God. How do we do this? Number one, we do this by reading the word of God. Take time every day to read what God's word says. Don't just wait for Sunday and say, well, I, I'm sure Pastor Jeremy will tell me what that means and what it says. Listen, the Holy Spirit can teach you so much more than I could ever teach you. Take time every day to read the Word of God. Take time every day, secondly, to believe the Word of God. To believe the Word of God. You know that God's never lost a battle in His life? Do you know that God has never made a promise that He did not keep? Do you know that God has never um, uh, uh, not helped someone that has asked for it? God has never left someone forsaken and alone? Find that if you just get in God's word and believe God's word, you'll find yourself moving forward. And thirdly, you can do this by living it. It's not good enough just to understand what the Bible says. Listen, you've got to live it in your life. You've got to allow it to change you. You've got to allow it to do something in your life. 
Eliezer was a man that said, man, I need God's help in my life. And with God's help, I'm not dropping this sword. With God's help, I'm not turning back. With God's help, I'm going to move forward in my Christian life. I'm going to have victory. By the way, you'll see there at the end of verse number 10 and verse number 11 there, it says, and then the people came back after he won to recover the spoil. Man, I'm so thankful that Eliezer didn't say, hey, where you guys been? Eliezer didn't say, hey, all that is mine. That's my victory. You're coming to, to get the spoil of this battle. This is my battle. He didn't do that at all. By the way, I believe he learned that from King David. King David did the same thing. But Eliezer said, yes, yes, this is the fruit of victory. I thank God for those in our church and those uh, that I know of, those Christians that did not get weary of praying for somebody to get saved a family member, or a friend. Someone that said, you know, uh, I, I know it seems like impossible that that guy will ever get into church, but I'm just going to keep praying until God does something. I love hearing the testimony of Brother Schufeld. Talks about how he was a man that wanted nothing to do with God. He thought he'd never come to church. He thought he'd never become a Christian. But he had some people that were praying for him. People that didn't get tired of praying for him. Until one day at the age, I believe, of 28, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. I thank God for people in this church to just continue to pray. And let me encourage you, if you've got a son that's wayward or a daughter that's wayward, if you've got a, a brother or a sister that doesn't know the Lord, don't get weary. Don't get weary. Just endure. Just keep moving forward. God will give you that victory. Now we're going to celebrate this morning some baptisms from people that were just praying for them, and that's the fruit of that. Eliezer was a man that had God's help to keep moving forward. I want you to notice the third man, and this is the last profile this morning. It's the man Shema. His name means astonishment. Shema was one who was truly surprising. His name meaning astonishment probably left a lot of people in, in disbelief. He was a man that was more than likely overlooked by most people, uh, perhaps, you know, not much was expected of him. Yet in the most critical time in the fight, when many had left and gone away, we find that Shema stood his ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. Though some would think, well, that's just a, it's a barley field. It's a, it's a, it's a field of lentils. Why, why would you stand there? Let me tell you what Shema understood. You see, that field that he was defending wasn't just any field. That was a field that was promised to him by God. If you know the history of the Israelites, you know that God came to Abraham, the father of the Israelites, and he said, I'm going to give you a land, a promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. And for many years, it seemed like that, pro uh, that promise had not come true. God took uh, some of uh, Abraham's descendants and they became slaves in Egypt. And then Moses came and liberated them out of uh, slavery in Egypt and began to move them to the promised land. And then uh, Moses passed away and then Joshua became the leader and they went into the promised land. They conquered the promised land and then they divided the promised land. And they gave to every family, every people, this is your land. This is the land that God has promised you. And you know what Shema did? He got that land, that promise that was made to him, and he claimed that promise. Can I encourage you today, Christian, that God has made many promises to you and me? 
God has given us promises of blessing and of peace and of joy and of love. They're all promises that he gives to you and to me. But you know, if you're going to experience those promises in your life, you're going to have to claim them. You're going to have to stand on those promises. You're not going to be able to just run away when it's convenient. You're going to have to stand and defend when you're being attacked. And let me just say who the enemy this morning is, in case you don't know who the enemy of the Christian life is. Let me just encourage you that it's not uh, NBC or CNBC or the liberals out there. It's not the Democrats and it's not the Republicans. The enemy today is none other than the devil himself. It's the devil that puts lies in our world. It's the devil who comes to destroy your life. It's the devil that wants to trick you out of the promises of God and the blessings of God. And it's going to take you and me, Christian, to stand there and say, I'm going to defend this promise. I'm going to claim this promise by God. Don't let the devil scare you this morning. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that Abraham claimed the promises of God. Abraham was always looking forward to the promises of God. Let me give you an application of what Eliezer did this morning. And it's this. We must claim the promises of God if we are going to stand for the truth of God. I want to challenge you this year to make it a year of claiming God's promises in your life. Don't let the devil tell you that you can't live the Christian life. Don't let the devil steal away from you God's promises in your life. You see, God will give you the words and the courage to stand and defend what is yours. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? There was a pastor named Lester Roloff here in Corpus Christi many years ago, and he used to sing this song, and I love this song. He would say, run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. When I fall down, going to get back up, because I didn't start out to play. It's a battlefield, my brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. So run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. You know what we need more of? Christians that will just stand and claim the promises of God. Don't let the devil steal your family. Don't let the devil steal you from the blessings of God. Don't let the devil steal your joy and your peace in life. You need to stand and defend. You need to stand with the truth of God and with the people of God. Stand in the promises of God. Man, these three men have so much to teach us about having God's strength in our life, about having God's help to endure the Christian life and win the spiritual battles of our life. They teach us so much about claiming the promises of God in our life. I hope this morning as you think about these three men, you wouldn't just think about the unbelievable feats that they did, but think about the God that helped them do that. Do you know that God can help you also have extraordinary strength? Do you know that God can help you endure to the very end? Do you know that God can help you have the promises that He has promised you in your life? If you simply just believe Him. If you simply follow Him. Let me just end with this this morning. This man, Adino and Eliezer and Shema, at some point they had to come to David. And I want you to notice there in 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel, it's the book right before 2 Samuel. And I want to just read this very quickly. I want to encourage you with this. It says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. 
And it says, and everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them and there were with him about 400 men. Do you know in the life of David, he is much pictured many times as Jesus Christ. No, David was not the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's pictured. He's a type of Jesus Christ many times. You see, at some point, Adino and Eliezer and Shammah had a point in their life where they were going to go and join David. And it says those that joined David were those that were in debt and discouraged and discontented. And they found in David someone that gave them courage. They found in David someone that gave them strength. They found in David someone that gave them purpose. Someone that gave them promises. Can I say that this morning, Jesus does the same thing for you and for me. If you've never come to Jesus, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, can I say He is a King that will always help you? He is a King that will never leave you nor forsake you. He is a King that will give you the promises that you desire in your life. If you'll simply go to Him. If you'll simply make of Him your King. 2 uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slacking concerning His promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word that not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what God's desire for you is this morning? If you have not made Jesus your King, if you have not made Jesus your Savior, God wants you today to make Him your King. You might be discontented in life and you might be discouraged and you might be indebted and you might think there's nowhere to turn, but let me just say there is somewhere you can turn. There's someone you can turn to and his name is Jesus Christ. I like what 1 John 2.25 says, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. And this morning, if you'll claim Jesus Christ as your king, you also can have that eternal life. You can also experience the promises and the strength and the endurance to get through this life. Oh, Jesus is a king unlike any other king. He's a king that can change you. He's a king that can save you. He's a king that can give you what no one else can. I encourage you, if you've not made of him your king, decide today to make him your king. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, I thank you for these three men. Oh, there's not a whole lot said about them. Oh, but there's a whole lot that we can learn from them. Oh, Father, I pray that this morning as we meditate and ponder what these men did, the accomplishments that they had in their life, may we realize that those are the same accomplishments that God wants in our life. God wants us to uh, apply, Father, you want us to apply that truth to experience like them victory in our life. Oh, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts even this morning. As the piano plays, uh, perhaps one stands, I want to challenge you this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I am a Christian, but in my Christian life, I, I feel like I've been defeated lately. I feel like I haven't had the strength that I need and I have not endured like I ought. But would you just pray for me? I want to apply some of those truths in my life. And I, I want to be able, with God's help, to endure and to move forward. I want to claim God's promises this morning. Would you just pray for me? If that's your request, just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. I see them. 
God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see it. Well, perhaps this morning you're here and you're saying, to be honest with you, Pastor, I can't think of a time. There's not a moment in my life when I can think that I made Jesus my Savior and my King. But this morning I would love, I would love to make Jesus the Savior of my soul, the King of my heart and the King of my life. Would you just pray for me, Pastor? I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I can't think of a time when I've ever done that. But I understand and I know that I need that today. I need him in my life. Would you just pray for me? I'd like to accept Christ as my Savior. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. I want someone to show you with the Bible how you can know that you're saved. Is there anyone like that this morning? Father, this morning, we've been clearly challenged by your word. And I pray that as we meditate upon what we've learned, that you would help us to apply it into our lives. Oh, Father, help us to be soldiers that are always moving forward and enduring to the end. Father, be with us, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.